Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, welcome to the show tonight. How's everybody doing? Boy, our weather switched. I'll tell you, we were <laughs> we were doing spring weather here in California, and uh, suddenly it's not like that anymore. You know, well, I mean, compared to like people back east, we're like big babies here. You know, because we're. I mean, it's not like you know we're not like Hawaii where it's seventies and eighties all the time. But you know, anything below fifty for us, we're dying. And uh, tonight, in the next couple of nights, we're supposed to hit uh, in the upper twenties. So for us, that's horribly cold, horribly, horribly, horribly. So everybody's out, cut, you know, covering up pipes and plants and all this, and 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 preparing for the onslaught of the cold. So I can tell you right now, it's it's, it's down to forty something right now. My I got my heat going and all that. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the night. We got a great guest, but before we get to him, I got to tell you who I am. I'm Charlotte again. I'm going to be your host for the night. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento. We are 35 strong up and down the state of California. You can find us at CaliforniaHaunts.org. The radio show is separate. and You can find the radio show at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. And at the radio show, you can get to our YouTube page, or you can go in and see all our archives from this show. Plus, you can see our archives from Block Talk Radio Show, because we've run Block Talk Radio for 15 years. So you can check that out as well. Okay? Anyway, if you're watching from YouTube tonight, Please subscribe. If you look down in the right-hand corner, you're going to see the little guy, the, the little ghost with the uh, Sherlock Holmes hat on and the uh, and the magnifying glass. That's our little uh, mascot. That's how you uh, subscribe to the show. Okay. One more thing, a couple more things is that I'm going to be doing ghost tours. We haven't done ghost tours since um, the pandemic hit. And what ghost tours are is we take you to a haunted hotel, haunted location, and you get to use our equipment and work with, work with our team members. And we teach you how to actually ghost hunt. And it's a really neat experience, and it's a, it's a full ghost hunt. It's, it's not anything, ha- you know, it's not a half thing or promotional ghost hunt. It's, it, it's a, it's a full-on ghost hunt where you get to try our equipment out, uh, try to get your EVPs, you know, and then we, we all go over the, the that evidence, and, and you get to take home whatever evidence you got. So it's a pretty good deal. So, uh, like I said, I'm going to have that up on the web, the, the radio website, probably tonight or tomorrow night. Last night I got <laughs> detoured. My dog wanted to sit on my lap all night. So, what, what can you do? But anyway, uh, that's going to be happening. Okay. You see that ticker running along the bottom? The reason why it's there is because California Haunts is a paranormal investigation. It is a nonprofit. And because it's a nonprofit, all of this comes out of my pocket. So, anything you see here, everything, you know, lighting, the bikes, my hat, see? My headphones, you know, everything you can think of that would go into doing this radio show comes out of my pocket. So if a camera breaks down or the computer dies, I have to replace everything. And it comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to donate a little bit to us, that would be great because we're always looking for donations. You know, that would be at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, we do have a Venmo where you go into Venmo and just type in California Haunts. It's that easy. Okay. Anyway, without further ado... My guest, Steve Ulani, is on his third round here. We probably won't see him for a while after this. But he's been talking about uh, his three books in his Who Murdered series. First one was Princess Diana. Second one was Elvis. Tonight we're going to talk about FDR. 
one of the greatest presidents of all time, right? Okay. So I'm going to bring Steve on, and we're going to get the show on the road. Here we go. Hello. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. And I promise one of these times I'll actually use a camera. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. But not this time. Not this time. Next time. Okay. And this photo, don't be yelling about the photo. That is the only photo on the internet of you. Really? Every show uses that. When you look at every show that that, that has you on, that is the photo that, that, that goes up. Even Coach Well, that's because that's because I really look like that. It's <laughs> <laughs> not what you said last time. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, this one? Yeah, I don't like yeah, anything that like that. Yeah, that's the, nope. that's the one that everybody puts up because that's the, that's the only one they can find. I really have to work on getting a more recent in a different photo up there. But I just so want to warn you ahead of time and let you know why. <laughs> okay, sounds great. <laughs> it's been that kind of week. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are getting cold weather out there, huh? Yeah, it just changed again. We had two weeks of, you know, like 75, 76. Man, I live in Western New York, and it's so it's been so cold here. I actually saw a dog stuck to a fire hydrant. Oh my God, that's scary. So, <laughs> I mean, we've been getting single digits. We've been getting, you know, it was actually, it was twenty twenty one below. I, you know, I'm trying to envision that. It's kind of scary because the way I envisioned it is the stream was frozen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's kind of like three feet away in the stream. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. It was 21 below one night here last month. God, we would die out here in California. We complain when it drops below 60. <laughs> my father Enjoy used to laugh about that because he's my father grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And so he'd see everybody bundling up at 50, 55, and he'd say, my God, it's all t-shirt weather. These guys are idiots. <laughs> well, he would be he would be right. It's uh you know, it's a chore. You know, we have we have four seasons here. We have Almost winter, still winter. No, almost winter, winter, still winter in construction. Those are our four seasons. <laughs> that's about it. So we're coming into the season where we have to, you know, spring is coming and we have to rake and row and mow and hoe and scrape and prime and paint. So there you go. <laughs> so you can get ready for the next season. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. You finally get everything fixed around and all your house is all pretty looking and all the yards nice. And you know what? It gets destroyed again. You know, you can never make any progress. <laughs> You've only got like two days to sit on your deck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's about it. You have to fit in all the graduations. You have to fit in all the, you know, all the weddings and everything. You have to fit them all into six weeks and then you put the lawn furniture away. That's, yeah, that's it. it. Cover it all up and Get get the snow shovel out and away you go. <laughs> I look forward to those nine or ten days of summer every year here. You know, I'm it's sure great. you do. <laughs> <laughs> we have I way too much damn fun. Winter here was like in Hawaii because in Hawaii when it rains, it rains. The rain's like 82 when it comes down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of being so bloody cold, wouldn't it be nice? Who the hell it'd needs an umbrella? It'd be, it'd be different. That's for sure. You know, I mean, it's, it's not where I live, we're in the jet stream. So it's not uncommon for us to a 40 degrees in 24 hours, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's bizarre. You know, it's uh, you want to drive your barometer crazy, move to Western New York <laughs> <laughs> where in August you still have your snow, your snow brush in your car, you know, there you go. Cause you never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know they just got snow in the foothills up here. I mean, it's always a big deal, even though it used to snow there years and years ago. But because of climate change, you know, you know, or whatever that is, it snows every once in a while up there. So they always make a big deal out of it. 
Yeah, I remember a couple of Octobers ago, we got, what, 121 inches of snow at the airport? Yikes. And it was, they called it the October Surprise because it was, they called it all kinds of things, you know, it's <laughs> November because <laughs> it was the end of October. I mean, it's just bizarre stuff. The so this is, why, dad, this is why. The other thing my dad used to say, too, is he had this thing called Cleveland snow. And Cleveland snow to him was when you, because we see it up here in Tahoe, you know, <laughs> Cleveland snow was what the snow looks like, like, like a day or two after it snows. That black <laughs> from the road. And that's what he would call Cleveland snow. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> we, yeah, it's this is how I had time to write these books because, <laughs> you know, I mean, not, you know, I'm for like four months or three months, you won't see a glimpse of sunshine. You know, I mean, this is where, you know, Mary Poppins would hang herself here. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it is so. Uh oh, we lost you. Oh, no. I'm still here. Oh, there you are. I thought I lost you. Sorry. <laughs> it is so It is so um, dark and dank and cloudy and gray. You want to see 50 Shades of Gray? Move to Western New York. Okay. <laughs> That's scary. No, I'll pass. Thank you. I like it out here. I'd rather be in Hawaii, but still out, out here is fine. As long as I have a heater, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I like the snow. Don't get me wrong. I, I love being up in the snow. I've got an all-wheel drive truck, you know, SUV, but it's a nice place to visit, but you don't want to live there. Yeah, well, that's why they make paintings. You know, I'm a beach guy. If I want to see the snow, I'll look at a Norman Rockwell or something like that. Like that. Norman Rockwell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this is the last book in, in, in your Who Murdered series. It is. It's the last subject. Yeah, absolutely. Um, FDR was a presidential murder that no one knew about. There's been a couple presidential murders that people have looked over. Uh, Warren Harding was very obviously murdered, and no one talks about that one. That's a book I will not write because I'm getting out of this venue after one more book. Uh -huh. um, FDR um, was very obviously murdered, and of course propaganda being what it is nobody has looked into that one other than myself mm -hmm. um, actually I, I i take that back there is one other person out there that um when my book came out there was information out there i didn't see it when i was writing my book but after the fact i noticed that somebody else was on the trail years before me i didn't know that so it would have made a lot easier i can tell you that wow cool so tell me about FDR. What's happening with what, what happened with him? Okay, so don't don't change the channel, folks. We're on all the other ones too. Pop your corn. Let's get ready to rock and roll. Okay, FDR, Roosevelt. I think there were three people in Washington D.C. that us off. Uh, it, it was just unbelievable how he managed to surround himself with enemies and. And you know, all kinds of things that were going on inside the inside his White House. Um, very, very, very colorful person in history. Very, very loved president. Um, when he died, people said that you know because of the fireside chats, which he would have frequently. Um, kind of interesting. He used the technology of the day to take his message directly to the people. Hmm. Um, and at the time. Um, a radio was a piece of furniture in the den or living room and, and everybody would gather around it. And that was the medium of the day, you know? So 
he was able to communicate directly to people and um you know they really had an attachment to him when he died people thought you know they felt as though a family member had actually died it really hit the country very hard strange twist trump did almost the same thing with twitter right both both of them used the communication medium of the day now don't send me hate mail and say i'm comparing trump to fdr don't do that that's not what i'm talking about but <laughs> um, they both found a way to use the the medium of the day to go directly to the people and bypass any sort of uh, any sort of media or mainstream media that existed. So um, FDR was a very very colorful person in history. Um, I can't say I'm an FDR fan, but I did admire a lot of things that he did. Mm -hmm. um, I thought he was an excellent war president. I thought he was very, very smart. Uh, I have to admire him for fighting his way through his disability. Um, I was very, uh, I was very impressed when I learned the level that he was. He was paralyzed from the neck down, hmm. and he had uh, like a chin-up bar installed over his bed. I don't know how this guy even survived it. He, I don't know how he wasn't in an iron lung. They, you know, I mean, I don't know how he ever made it, but I mean, it's it's remarkable that he was able to lying flat on his back, paralyzed from the neck down, was able to have uh, a chin-up bar installed over his bed, and he was able to regain the use of his arms, um, which is remarkable. And then he, of course, he tried in vain to regain the use of his legs. Um, and if you've ever been to Hyde Park, if you've ever been to the Roosevelt uh, Roosevelt Mansion in Hyde Park, New York, it's really worth going. If you're standing with his front door at your back and you're facing straight out, the highway is quite a ways away. And what this guy used to do to try to get, try to regain the use of his legs is he would go, quote unquote, walking three times a day. Walking to him was using crutches under his arms and dragging his legs behind him hmm. I mean, this is just unbelievable the way this guy fought um and attempted to you know fight through this disability that in itself made him a hero uh, or not so i have mixed feelings on fdr um but i had a lot of admiration for him i think that he was very he was extraordinarily smart uh very charismatic um managed to upset a lot of people around him in the white house and to the victor go the spoils right so right. you know i mean won the war so a lot of those things were hushed up for 70 years before i came along and new evidence was out there nobody was looking but me mm -hmm. and uh, i said oh wow it's so obvious that this guy was murdered why hasn't anybody else looked into this so um Little backdrop on him before I get to the murder. Um, are, and I have to be careful when I say this, okay? FDR um, and his wife, his wife was also his cousin. Um, yes, it's true. Eleanor Roosevelt was his cousin. So she was born a Roosevelt, married a Roosevelt, died a Roosevelt. She never had to change her monogram her entire life, okay? Wow. Um, yeah, they were cousins. And this was common certain in, in certain veins um i know it seems weird doesn't it um 
Even if you watch Gone with the Wind, the Wilkeses always married their cousins. Right. Um, in, in one of the other interviews, I pointed out another shining example of Princess Diana and Prince Charles. Right. They were cousins. You know, I know it's weird, but it happens. Why it happens, I'm sure I have no idea what the logic is, but it happens. So they were both um, very communist friendly. And when I say they were communist friendly, communism had quite a start in America before FDR. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explain what I mean by communist friendly. All right. Um, communism in America had its start in 1919, maybe even a little bit before that, uh, under Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson did not like the, our three branches of government. He liked the parliamentary system where the the um, legislative and the executive branch were together. He didn't like the fact that they were separated. So he was searching for a system. And of course, he was you know, a very learned man. He was a, a college professor. He liked the fact that those two branches of government were together, which, of course, you know, walks almost straightforward into communism. Now, communism at this time is completely unknown we had just come off the uh you know the roaring 20s let me back up a second fdr was uh idolized um woodrow wilson Uh right woodrow wilson made him uh secretary of the navy so out of this ideology of woodrow wilson grows fdr okay so you can't really talk about one without talking about the other and communism started its foothold way way back under woodrow wilson's uh term to the point where they actually started the uh, cpusa which mm-hmm. is the communist party of the united states of america and it's still in existence today actually and um if you go to cpusa.org you can see what uh what um political platform they're they're promoting it's kind of an eye-opener so we have this new ideology in america and now uh it's been bandied about talked about um woodrow wilson kind of embraced it um in comes fdr he gets elected we're off the roaring 20s now capitalism had just failed mm-hmm they were in a very steep uh, economic problem under Herbert Hoover and under <laughs> Herbert Hoover and, and capitalism. So capitalism bombed out, and they're scrambling for this a new ideology to take its place. So um, they knew nothing about evil empires. They knew nothing about any of this. You know, all they knew was that this was. Um, supposed to be the answer okay um everyone was cared for cradle to grave all you had to do was lock hands and skip off into the sunset mm-hmm. and the government would do all the work okay sounds great doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> but um they thought it did so when i say that these people fdr and eleanor were communists that's what i'm talking about they don't 
I mean, it's not that they were enemies to the country or anything. They were trying to embrace a new ideology that nobody knew anything about. So here we are, 19, 1930, 31, 32, 33. Um, we've got some problems in America. People are even really having a tough time. So Stalin, of course, being the evil genius that he is, is probably the most the biggest megalomaniac in human history. He 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 what a hideous murdering monster this guy was. He murdered millions of his own people. Uh it's just and of course, he was one of the original Politburo, Politburo members in uh in the USSR. And most of those got caught up in the Great Purge. He was an interesting dude. And they were on a collision course, okay? America is on a collision course with Stalin. At this time in America, Stalin obviously is a communist, and he's, he's, he's using this economic malaise, for lack of a better word, to his advantage. So what he does is he sends invitations to people in America, uh, people in academia, the elites, people in Hollywood, people in the news media, people in arts and entertainment, they were invited to the USSR so they could be shown, look at what a wonderful society we've built. Mm -hmm. We have the answer. You guys are all wrong. So when they came, and they did go, hundreds of them went, they were treated like absolute royalty. Why wouldn't they be, right? So... They were shown, you know, the, the, these model villages that were, you know, where everyone was happy and everything was pristine and painted perfectly. And it probably looked like Main Street USA and Disney World, which isn't a real town either. So um, these were what you would call Potamkin villages. They were basically cardboard villages. They didn't function. They were not real. And less than five miles away... Um, people were actually in, in, enslaved and conditions were terrible. They were starving. We know that now they didn't know that then. So these people were given these pamphlets and leaflets and all of these packets of information and sent back to the United States. And they were told, okay, look, you can make your your, your capitalist society into a communist society. If you follow these steps and they were very, very successful with this brainwashing. So here these people are in America in high influential uh, positions to influence other people. I would call them early adapters mm -hmm. who now believe that they're doing the right thing by trying to transform America into a communist country. Very interesting research. Um, eye-opener. And I have to tell you all of this to tell you the backstory on what happened to FDR. Okay? okay. So it got to the point where there are so many people in and around FDR who are spying on him and spying on America and trying to fiddle with the knobs and levers of America that FDR found himself surrounded by some people who didn't necessarily like what he was doing, even though he was kind of communist friendly. Um, the, <laughs> the, the, um, 
I'm trying to figure out how to paint this because it's kind of, there's a lot of names coming and I don't want to confuse people. So let me back up and go slow. Two of the biggest uh, communist spies uh, were Whitaker, Whitaker Chambers. They had huge spy rings in every branch of the United States government. Um, 15 high-ranking uh, officials within FDR's White House were known communists, and they were spying for Stalin. Okay. And uh, everyone from Alger Hiss to Harry Dexter White, and this all came out afterwards. This, of course, they didn't know that then. But they were into, and I'm going to give you a list of the the part of our government that they had infiltrated. Okay. The Public Welfare Committee, the U.S. Treasury Department, we had communists in the Treasury Department, the Price Administration, the War Production Board, Labor Advisory Board, the National Labor Relations Board, the Department of State, the Attorney General's Office. We had communists in the Attorney General's Office and the Agri Agricultural Adjustment Administration. All of these people, all of these 15 high-ranking people who were in charge of those departments in our government are all named in my book. Okay. And it's not that way because I say it's that way. It's just real research, folks. Yes, I do real research. <laughs> so... Uh, FDR finds himself surrounded by people who don't necessarily like what he's doing. Uh, one of those people was introduced to him from Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt was very active in, um, in the CPUSA, which is, uh, I'm trying to think of the address. I used to know off the top of my head. It's in New York City. And it's still there in its original original place. And for the life of me, I cannot think of that address. And that really bothers me. I must be slipping in my old age. Hmm. Um, 234th, 200, 235th West 32nd Street. I had to look it up. So um, it's still there. She was very active in this because it's not very far away from Hyde Park. You know, it's within a day's ride. So they would go with her friends. And Eleanor Roosevelt would go down and hang out, and they would start a think tank. Mm -hmm. One of the people that she became very, very close with was a fellow named Harry Hopkins. Harry Hopkins is, this guy's really a, something else. He ended up being the eighth Secretary of Commerce in the United States. He was one of FDR's closest advisors and closest confidants. Um, he, it was, the New Deal was Harry Hopkins' idea. He also started the, the uh, Lend-Lease program for us. So during the, um, we would be distributing food and oil and material between the UK, China, and the Soviet Union, and free, free France, and other allied nations during the war. You know, warships, warplanes, and other necessary weaponry. This was all the, the construct of Harry Hopkins. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that gives you a little glimpse is to... What's going on in the backdrop of the White House under FDR? Mm -hmm. And things are not as they seem uh, when you watch the film footage and the, the reels and, and so forth. Um, another one that comes out of that little group of people who were very communist friendly with the CPUSA was um, Henrietta Nesbitt. Henrietta Nesbitt was a neighbor of the Roosevelt's in Hyde Park. She was probably Eleanor Roosevelt's best friend, and she ended up being the White House cook. Someone else who ended up with an axe to grind with FDR because 
FDR, what's the easiest way I can say this without saying it wrong? FDR, used to, he forgot who he was married to often. He had all kinds of girlfriends in the White House. Hmm. Um, a couple of them were really obvious. Did not set well with Eleanor Roosevelt. And she knew about it. And the plot is now thickening. What's going on in the FDR White House? I'll, I lay it all out in the book. I don't have time here to go through this. How much time do we have, actually? Yeah, two hours. Go for it. We're going. All right. Okay, so I um I have to tell the backdrop to the murder, and then I'll talk about the suspects. Okay. So um, I'm trying to think. Where did I leave off here? FDR is right. Okay. He was... It was just, this is unbelievable, really, for a guy in a wheelchair to pull this off. He was um, he had a thirty-year love affair with Lucy Mercer. Um, she was uh, the social secretary of Eleanor, one of Eleanor's best friends. And when he used to leave the White House, he would have rendezvous with Lucy Mercer. This was well known. Why? Because Secret Service was one of the people who arranged these meetings. Um, kind of bizarre. I know that's the truth. The, you know, fact is always sometimes, well, sometimes more strange than fiction. Another one is, uh, Missy Lahand. Missy Lahand is her, is his FDR's personal secretary for a couple decades. She lived in the white house. So when he wasn't dabbling around with his wife and he was goofing around with her because you know what? She was close at hand. Mm -hmm. Um, Missy Lahand, close at hand. Look at that. Um, all of this is going on, and he is starting to gather people. The White House is starting to be divided. Are you on Eleanor's side? Are you on FDR's side? She's he's screwing around on his wife, and it's blatant. Okay. Stalin knows all of what's going on. Why? Because all of these people have infiltrated the White House. There were many times when they would meet, especially at the Tehran conference in 1943, where Stalin knew more about FDR's White House than FDR did. Hmm. There were that many speakers and talkers and in and around our president in the middle of the greatest war the world has ever seen. You can kind of see very obviously how the suspect list is starting to come about. Right. So the first couple suspects, the very first one, and when I write these suspects, when I do these books, I have to take, but, all right, I have to be very unbiased. I have to look at, I have to be Mr. Spock, okay? I have to, um, I have to kind of just look at the way things are and put my emotions aside. It was very hard during the Elvis Presley uh, investigation um, because I was a huge Elvis fan, still am. And I, I had to take my emotions and what I felt about the situation and you know, seal it in a jar and continue to look at the facts. I had to do the same thing here. Um, the very first uh, suspect is Eleanor, for obvious reasons. Uh, so it's not that I dislike these people. It's not that I, I think they're bad people. I run the suspects in my book. My books are all written the same way, okay? Um, 
I do the research and I gather a pool of suspects. And I run these suspects through the elements of a crime. Motive means an opportunity. Okay. Did Eleanor have the motive? Yes. Did she, you know, did she have the means? Oh, yeah. Did she have the opportunity? Oh, yeah. Um, mo motive means an opportunity. Guess what? She's a murder suspect. Okay. I don't care who she is. It wouldn't matter to me if she was Peppermint Patty. She's a murder suspect. Forget the fact that she's the first lady. Okay. So the next ones are the two girlfriends, Lucy Mercer and Missy Lahand. Do they have the motive? Yes. Do they have the means? Yes. Do they have the opportunity? Yes. Guess what? They're murder suspects. Mm -hmm. I do this with all of my suspects. Okay. And in the end, my books are like 200 pages, thereabouts. And in the end, I will tell you how they did it, who did it, why they did it, everything. All will be revealed. And I keep it short because I know people are busy. Okay. Um, the next suspect, um, Stalin. Joseph Stalin is a suspect. Why? Uh, at the end of the war, FDR wanted to start the... Wait, what a smart guy he was. Um, he wanted to. He wanted to make sure this never happened again in the in the world ever. The four policemen of the world. He wanted Great Britain, the United States, China, and the Soviet Union as the four policemen of the world, and they would take care of their own little section of the world. And if anything happened, they would they would quell any any sort of rebellion or problems because they had the military might at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. That's not exactly what Stalin wanted. Stalin didn't want to split the world with FDR. He wanted to rule the world. Stalin was a temporary ally of the United States of America, and Churchill knew it. Churchill knew um, immediately, because Stalin was not on our side of the war at the beginning. He was, but he wasn't. Um, there was a non-aggression pact between Hitler and Stalin. Um, Hitler came very, very close to ruling the world. Um, very close. Um, more so, I think, now that we realize what was going on. At that time, we didn't know. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very, very close to finishing their heavy water experiments for nuclear weapons. And with their V-2 rockets, they could have delivered them to all the corners of the world. Um, we, were, we, we were within weeks. Um, and... Everybody knew it. So Stalin and Hitler had this anti-aggression pact. Hitler did three things wrong, way wrong. The first thing he did was stop the anti-aggression pact with Hitler, or with Stalin, I'm sorry. And he started to attack him. Not a good idea, especially in winter. Um, second stupid thing he did was start a war on both fronts. So now, you know, he's on the other front, you know, on both sides, on both borders, he's got conflict going on. And the third really, really stupid thing he did was screwing with the Jews in the, in the death camps. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to really be a twisted guy, for lack of better words, to do things like that. Okay. Um, barring those three things, he would have ruled the world. If he would have partnered with Stalin instead of attacked him, 
they would have they would have combined they would have ruled the world so because stalin didn't end up on our side of the war in the beginning churchill knew immediately this guy's a temporary ally he's going to be trouble so stalin is a stalin is a suspect to the point where at the end of the war churchill who's my sixth cousin i think churchill said at the end of the war look let's go after him let's do it now We've got the military might. Let's get him now because he's going to be trouble. Boy, didn't he know what he was talking about. If he would have done that, if the world would have agreed to do that, it would have saved us 70 years of Cold War massacre and murder. Never happened. So there's Stalin. Okay. Um, Churchill, believe it or not, and this is loose, but he's a suspect in this. Uh, at the end of the war, Churchill and Britain got virtually nothing uh -huh. except to be outside of war. Um, even Stalin, he accused the Churchill gang, quote unquote, of murdering FDR. Sure. And it didn't help that um, no one would see the body. Eleanor wouldn't let anybody see the body. That drove Stalin crazy. Not that it was a far reach but you didn't have to sprint there but the guy you drove the guy nuts because he wanted to know what was going on why because he was suspicious of everyone why because he thought that everybody was an evil genius like him okay right. so um another suspect hitler obviously okay um hitler had two spy rings in the united states that were up to no good and their job and there were also Nazi spies in the White House. I forgot to mention that. I, I'm not going to... I'll save that for the book. You know what? I think I have to say a little intrigue for that book. Okay? That's right. So, um, Hitler was... Uh, <laughs> boy, this guy. Um, what a lunatic this guy was. Uh, it's, it's really something else. Uh, he had two spy rings, okay? The Duquesne spy ring, which was the largest spy ring in American history with 33 members. Uh -huh. Their job was to fiddle with the knobs and levers at, uh, of American society at high levels and assassinated. The next one was Operation Pastorius, and there were eight members. And they had the exact same, the exact same uh, motive, but they weren't as big as uh, the Duquesne spy ring had 33 members. I mean, they're the biggest spy ring in American history that we know of. Um, they were uncovered. They all got the electric chair. Hmm. The people around FDR with ill intent is growing. Uh, it's really an amazing thing when you take a look at how badly these people wanted to knock off the opposition leaders. Uh -huh. Um, Hitler, there were, there were at least 42 attempts on Hitler's life from 1933 until 1944. These guys were going after each other. To beat the band and we you know we'd be naive as americans to think that we don't have spies right we have spies guys all countries have them we have them there are real 007s in this world okay it's not just a movie they exist 
okay, on all sides. The espionage ring that is going on, and they all know each other, which is why you have double agents. Right, right, <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> so the length at which these people were trying to get to each other is incredible. Um, Erwin Rommel, the Desert Fox, one of the greatest generals that the Germans had, he was trying to do a, because he knew Hitler was out of his mind. So on August 20th, 1944, this uh, coup was discovered. Hitler marched his SS down there, yanked him out of this house, and forced him to take a cyanide capsule. All of the heads of these governments in this gigantic war are all targets. And in Hitler's case, from people within their own government, just like FDR. Uh -huh. This is an idea of what's going on here. Um, Hitler did Operation Long Jump at the Tehran conference. This was a plot to assassinate Churchill, FDR, and Stalin at the Tehran conference. This is, this is the length at which the, the hidden chess game is going on behind the scenes. Who's going to murder who? How are we going to get him? This is, this is some serious stuff. So my favorite in all of this was how they tried to kill Churchill. Uh -huh. Um, <laughs> you know, say what you want about the Nazis. They're very industrious and they were very smart. Yeah. Um, they had a crazy leader, but you know, their government has been, their country has been obliterated a couple of times and they continue to build them back to being something special, either militarily or economically. So they had spies around her and they wanted to knock him off. And they were trying to figure out how to do this. How do we get to this guy? And they had spies on the inside. So they realized that he, a professional assassin, will know everything about you. They realized he liked to drink. He liked to smoke his cigars. But what he really liked was chocolate. This guy loved dark chocolate. So what the Nazis did... And this is right out of Maxwell Smart, okay? You can't make this up. What they did is they took, they made a bomb to look like a chocolate bar. Whoa. And they dressed it with this fantastic gold foil leafing, and the name of it was Peter's Chocolate. And they put it on the thin, probably looked like a Hershey bar, and they put it on, they somehow slipped it in to his chambers his private chambers and they put it on the tray that was going in to uh, uh and it was minutes away from working what the, he was supposed to do is unwrap the chocolate bar and it was going to blow his head off hmm. and the secret document that explains all this is in my book who murdered FDR. Um, there's documents in there that I don't know if other people have around the world. I did some real digging. That's one of them. You can read the, uh, you can read the official document on that. So because of this, um, you have to really, 
take a look at how they're all going at each other. Um, next on the list of suspects is um, the American industrialists. Not everyone liked FDR, communist or not, Nazi or not. Um, when he was elected in February 15th, 1933, there was a man named Giuseppe Zangara who tried to murder FDR when he was in Miami, um, and he missed. <laughs> he used a pistol, and he was apparently a terrible shot because he killed the mayor of Chicago. Hmm. He's not even in office yet, and people are trying to kill him. There's some real spooky stuff going on in America. So... Among the people who hated this guy so much were the American industrialists. And they because his high taxes for the New Deal and his social programs were dampering down their efforts to maintain their empires and maintain the profits that they've had. And it made them furious. They couldn't hire anyone. They couldn't, they couldn't get out of this, this economic depression or circumstance because, number one, he had raised taxes 2 to 300%. Number two, he was, he, he was suing all of them for all kinds of things. So they were so bogged down, it just drove them crazy. And here's a list of some, just some, of the American, American industrialists. Um, DuPont. Um, Eastman Kodak, Henry, uh, Harvey Firestone, Samuel Colgate, hmm. Hitler in the war, he was donating to the Nazi cause. Strange, but true. Look it up. Uh, I did <laughs> the Frick family, Henry Frick, uh, who came out of Carnegie steel, um, the Heinz family, the Hilton family, the Mellon family, part of the world banks. Um, and the people in Coca-Cola, Robert Woodruff, these people all hated FDR. And any one of them would have done something to him if they could get anywhere around him. So here's FDR trying to pilot, pilot this ship through terrible waters. And he has all of this going on around him. No surprise this guy would end up murdered. One of them got to him. So... Now I had to tell you about I had to tell you about the pile of crap to tell me tell you about the pony. Okay, here's the All pony. Right. Okay, so um, FDR is having medical issues, and they were not necessarily the advance of polio, and his doctors knew it. He had very good doctors. Uh, of course, he was a Navy man, so his doctor from 1932 to 1945 was Admiral Ross McIntyre. He was the White House physician. And he, was, he went on after FDR's death to write the book, The White House Physician. And um, he was vice, uh, he was uh, this uh, surgeon. This guy was a pretty, he was a pretty high-level boy. Um, he was accompanied by Dr. Howard Bruin, who was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. He was FDR's cardiologist. Uh -huh. Both of these people would go on to be completely baffled as to what the health condition was of FDR. After mealtimes, FDR's blood pressure would go crazy. 
he would turn pale. His blood pressure would go, I think one reading was uh, uh, 319 over 192. And in it, and they would administer the, and his body was not responding to him. And I mean, they're, it, they're stumped. They're like, well, what the hell is going on with this guy? Why is his body to bring that down? And his body was not responding at all, not even close. So they're completely stumped. And this is going on and going on and going on. And, um, Every now and then you get lucky with your research. And I'm a history nerd, so if someone was going to find this, it would be me. So here we go. One of his favorite cousins was Daisy Suckley. That was one of FDR's cousins. And 50 years after his death, she published uh, the White House Diary, entitled Close's Companion. And in this diary that I read at great length, um, it catalogs everything that was going on, her story and you know what was going on, the diary, the backdrop of what was going on in the White House. And on page 203, I saw something that I almost fell over backwards after I read it. And yes, I will bore you with it, and I have to read it. The president's fourth day in bed, he still feels somewhat miserable, though his fever is gone. Last Tuesday, without any warning, he fell ill at noon, also known as lunchtime. Mm-hmm. He lay in the study sofa where he slept until 4 p.m. He had a temperature of 102. I asked Dr. McIntyre what the problem was. Oh, Dr. McIntyre replied, it's a toxic poisoning, but we can't escape it. They have already figured out he's being poisoned. That's why his body's not responding to drugs. They're stumped. They're completely stumped. Who is poisoning the president from within the White House? So they do, they put their heads together and they come up with nothing. We've never seen anything like this before. Where is this coming from? People who work in the White House are friends and family. How can this it be? Okay. Um, so they do what all good doctors do when they're stumped. They take them to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So can Dr. Leahy. Dr. Frank Leahy at the time was, uh, he was, the, he was a very famous doctor. Um, and he went on to form the La- uh, the Leahy clinic in Boston in 1923 and it's still there. So this was a, this was a guy, he was really the guy. So they take him on March of 1944 and they examine FDR at the, at the behest of these other two, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what is causing this. First thing Dr. Leahy does is he runs x-rays, which makes no sense for a guy who's got out-of-control blood pressure. I don't know what they're hoping to find. I don't think that they had any idea what they were looking for. They were just looking. And finally, his memo, he published a memo um, for his inner staff, and it was to the public just a little while ago, a couple of years and it's in my book. Um, and basically it says, this is a dead man walking. Well, not that he could walk, but this is a dead man. He should not be, be president. And you need to think about making him step down. Problem is there's a war going on. Who's going to take his place? The vice president at the time was not a good choice. There yet. 
what are we going to do with this? So they decided to let this run its course. So the Leahy memo has since disappeared from the internet. It used to be on the History Channel's website, and it's probably been taken down. Why? Because I'm talking about it, but it's in my book, mm -hmm. and you can see it in all of its grandeur. So um, people who have the advance of polio, this is their symptoms. And I've ran this by three private doctors. Uh, I'm good friends with a couple of forensic pathologists, a slew of doctors, um, a couple people within the government who help me out with some information if it's not too vital. Um, this, is what, this is what my doctor friends all agreed with the advance of polio. FDR did not die from the advance of polio. Okay, This is what the symptoms were of polio is left. Of course. Uh, muscle and joint weakness, increasing muscle pain, becoming easily exhausted or fatigued, atrophy, um, which atrophy means, you know, when your muscles get little because they're not used. Okay. Right. Um, and if you want an example of atrophy, um, take a look at the photos in my book of what FDR's legs looked like. His legs were uh, basically a skeleton-like because he hadn't used them for so long. The muscle was gone. So he had the legs of a tiny little kid. Kind of freaky, but true. Um, trouble breathing and swallowing. Sleep apnea. And becoming cold because of lack of circulation. Mm -hmm. None of those were what this guy was experiencing. According to Dr. Leahy, this is what he was experiencing. Cardiovascular system problems. He had problems with elevated blood pressure and hypertension. He had uh, emic. He had problems with uh, all kinds of cardiovascular problems. I'm not going to go down this list because I won't bore you with them. Intellectual and mental problems. He had problems with his, with, uh, his cognitive function. He was calling things by different names. He couldn't remember people's names. If you look at him in the, or the Yalta conference, his mouth is gaping open. He can't keep a, keep concentration. He has no idea what he's doing. This is why at Yalta, he gave most of the world away to Stalin. Mm -hmm. If he was on his game, that would never have happened. So um, anxiety, depression, personality changes, all of these are what he's, are what Sensory problems, uh, hearing loss. He was having problems with his fine motor skills. He wouldn't. He couldn't light his cigarette anymore. Hmm. Uh, gastrointestinal problems. He had all kinds of nausea problems. He was having constipation problems. I won't get into it. It's all laid out in the book. Uh, nervous system. He had all kinds of problems. He had skeletal problems. If you look at him. At the Yalta conference in 1945, even though it's in black and white, you can tell the guy's pale. Yeah. You can tell. And this is called pallor. And this is a, this is a problem uh, through bone marrow alteration. His complexion is wrong. Um, kidney problems. He had some kidney damage. Um, all of these problems that are laid out are not the advance of polio. They're the advance of poisoning. FDR is being slowly poisoned from within the White House. So, um, before I go any further, I want to tell people how to get the book. Okay, do it. 
Okay, so you're interested in so far in this book. Um, it's an ebook, an audio book, and Kindle all the way around the world. Okay, um, those are the digital copies. Uh, the book, if you want a physical copy, if you want a paperback that you can have and hold and love, um, go to my website, whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com, whomurderedbooks.com. I'll say it three times, just people like things in threes, the Father, Son, and the Holy <laughs> Ghost. So, um, and, you know, I think, I think you're like around 20 bucks or something delivered thereabouts. Um, just, you know, if you want them autographed, if you know somebody who's got a birthday or something coming up and you want me to autograph it to Sister Susie, I'll do it. I don't care. Um, so that's how you get the book. Um, and that's how you get all my books. You can go to my website. Physical books are going away, folks. I have, um, I don't know, a couple dozen left of each book, if that. And when they're gone, they're gone. I'm getting out of the physical book world. Uh, I've had it with, um, I've had it with all kinds of problems, supply chain issues, rising prices. I've just had it from now on. They're going to be digital. So if you're going to get them, get them soon. Okay. With all that said, <laughs> let's rejoin your, your program in progress. Okay. I'm having way too much damn fun on this show. Okay. So. <laughs> did I did I mention that I want my own series? No, I'm only kidding. Hey, meanwhile, back at the White House, yeah. <laughs> um, FDR is having all kinds of problems, but they're further stumped because when he goes to Warm Springs, Georgia, which is quote unquote the little White House, um, this is one of his favorite places on earth. He goes there with his tiny group of and you know, he goes to hang out. The people like him there. He's well-liked. Um, he goes to barbecues. They have warm, thus the name, Warm Springs, Georgia. And he had, you know, through the advance of polio, he had muscle aches and pains. And the Warm Springs made him feel really good. So he was there often. He was there a lot through his presidency. So whenever he came back, or whenever he went to Warm Springs, Georgia, and he came back. He was a new man. Not only just muscle aches were gone, his entire demeanor changed. His color came back. He had more energy. He was. And, you know, he would go to a handful of friends. He would meet Lucy Mercer there because, you know, that was part of the 30 year love affair. Um, Eleanor was not there when he died. Um, Lucy Mercer was there when he died. So that'll let you know the depth of that relationship. So he's there with five or six of his friends and he's hanging out, getting well, and he would start to become himself again. But when he went back to the white house, everything reversed again. His body would go crazy with health problems. It was not responding to drugs and his doctors are completely baffled. Mm -hmm. So now we have to talk about April 12th, 1945. He goes to Warm Springs, Georgia for the last time. And they are poisoning the hell out of this guy. I, mean, I don't even know how he survived it for this long. Um, it got to the point where the Tehran Conference was in November of 1943. And those pictures are in my book. And 20 months later, 
28 months later at Yalta in February of 1945, this guy is just a shell of himself. He's a ghostly figure. And it got to the point where it was so obvious that he was being poisoned. Harry Hopkins was with him. And he's at the Tehran conference. And they're at a steak and potato dinner. FDR starts to turn white. He starts to sweat. He starts to vomit. And Harry Hopkins has to get him out of the room. They tried to poison him to death right at the Tehran conference. And you know what? No one in the history books talks about it. This is the other side of history. So on the way back from the Alta conference, and I'm bringing this back to April 12th, 1945, um, one of his top generals dies on the ship coming back. His name was uh, Major General Paul Watson. He's a very high-ranking general and one of FDR's closest friends. He dies of a cerebral hemorrhage on the ship. Another one in, in FDR's inner circle was Marvin McIntyre, his personal secretary. He dies of a cerebral hemorrhage. Why are all of these people dying around him with a cerebral hemorrhage? And you know what? Golly gee, didn't FDR die of a cerebral hemorrhage? Yeah. Of course he did. But it was not a naturally occurring cerebral hemorrhage. It was a result of a poisoning. So the plot's thickening. So we go to April 12th, 1945. Okay. Um, he goes to Warm Springs, Georgia. And this guy looks awful. Looks absolutely awful. And, uh, you know, people greeting him there because he made, he's made a lot of friends there. And he's a very charming person. And they invite him to barbecues and parties and things throughout his presidency when he used to go there. This time he's accepting the invitations and he goes to um, uh, Easter Mass and people are aghast at what this guy looks like. He couldn't look any worse and live. So. He goes back to the little White House with his little band of people. And it's kind of interesting. He has the desire to do all these things, but he doesn't have the tools to do them anymore. He just isn't feeling well. So he's going through as much of his agenda as he could. One of the things he had to have done was is completely mind-blowing. Um, he wanted to have his... Why? I'm sure I have no idea. If you look that bad, do you really want your portrait painted? But right. he did. So the uh, the portrait painter was a very interesting person in history. Her name was Elizabeth Shumatov, and she was a Russian defector with her husband, Leo. And boy, doesn't the plot thicken. Jeez. So um, she's a daughter of General Nicholas Avanov. She's an Avanov. Think about this, okay? So in her book, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shumatov's book, she says that her, her and her uh, husband, with her husband, Leo, on a mission from the provincial government headed by Alexander Kransky. Hmm. Never mentions what the mission is. Mm -hmm. 
So they bounce around upstate New York, and she's a fabulous painter. You've got to see this woman's work, okay? Look it up. It's, it's incredible how good she was. Um, she had painted FDR previously, uh, you know, four or five years ago before this health thing is coming on. And uh, she ended up being a friend of Missy LeHand and so forth. So she's there painting his portrait or trying very hard to make this guy look good because he didn't look so damn good. So she's invited into the inner circle with, an, <laughs> I don't know how Secret Service could have possibly cleared these people. So here she is, a Russian plant, with her husband, Leo, bouncing around upstate New York. He's doing numerous jobs. And where does he end up? He ends up being a business manager at the Sigorsky Aviation Corporation, another Russian. Wow. So how are these Russians all finding each other in America? Be kind of tough, right? So if right. we all defected and went over to Russia, do you think we could find Americans? Probably not. So there has to be another spy network in place. That's how these people are all finding each other can't make this up folks okay so she is painting the president and the first one in history to do this if i'm not mistaken um she's working with a photographer because she likes to paint at night to make progress while the subject is gone whatever she's painting an apple or the president or whatever so she has a photographer with her uh named um nicholas robbins but his name's not Nicholas Robbins. His national papers have him as Nicholas Kubikinsky. Of course. Another Russian. And somehow his name goes from Kubikinsky to Cobbins and from Cobbins to Robbins. What these people are doing in the middle of the biggest war the world has ever seen, alone with our president, I'm sure I have no idea. Mm -hmm. You you can't make a story like this. Who who checked these people out? Secret Service certainly couldn't have checked these people out. So he's getting his portrait painted, and he's doing what he calls his laundry. And this is kind of strange. Um, the easel is set up. He's in front of a desk, and he's doing what he means by doing his laundry is he's signing all of these papers, and he had his them um, draped all over the furniture so the ink could dry. So he could give them to his um, personal valet, Arthur Prettyman, to, yes, his last name was Prettyman, <laughs> to um, send these signed documents on their respective way. So Lucy, uh, Lucy Mercer is there, and she leaves to go make lunch. He's alone with these two people. They come back, he's dead. Whoa. Our president died alone in the presence of two Russian spies. Why is no one talking about this? No history book talks about this. So our history books that are written on FDR's death should be taken right out of the library in the history section and put right next to Grimm's fairy tales because there's no way they're telling you the truth. So, did they murder the president? Was it just bad timing? Who knows? Was it Churchill or Hitler? Was it the girlfriends? Was it Eleanor? Who knows? The book knows. <laughs> <laughs> I screen all of these people, and I do a pretty good job of it. People love this book. It's funny. Everybody has their own favorite book, you know? 
Right. Um, some people like the FDR book. Some people like the Elvis book. Everybody has their own favorite book. And I think it's because they're, these books are cross genre. Okay. Um, mystery, history, celebrity, suspense, all of that is kind of wrapped up in here. So everybody has their own separate book. So the plot is um, kind of thickening a little more. You know, somebody told me I was on a show the other day, and um, they said, why don't you just come out and tell us who murdered him? And I said, you know, I could do that. I don't really don't. You know, again, if, I could, if, I could, if I had the financial might, I would publish these books and give them out. Right. Because I want the history to be known. You know what? We're repeating it right now in history. Um, you know, your future is your past forgotten. That's for sure. I don't, you know, unfortunately with public costs, and I'd like to break even on this one. So I can't just sit here and tell you who did it. I want everyone to know the history behind it. I want sure. everyone to know the story. All right. If you buy a book or don't buy a book, I'll be fine. <laughs> but I want everyone to know the research that I've uncovered because it's it's a drastic parallel to what is happening right now in history. Okay, so um, they say, you know, isn't it just coincidence? You know, isn't it coincidence as well? Is it coincidence that Dr. Leahy found all the things that are, you know, that lead to poisoning? Mm -hmm. Is it all coincidence? It surely couldn't be possible that they could. Well, and it's it's interesting because as Americans, we have this opinion that we are pretty smart people. 30s, 1940s. We don't know that much about medical science at this point. The countries in Europe are farther than we are. They're thousands of years old at least not hundreds of years old. I think that England is, what, 1,700 years old? A lot of these other countries have had quite a jump on us, especially in medical terms back in the day, not so much today. But back then, they knew a lot of things that we didn't. And what they were poisoning the president with was already known as a toxic poisoning substance all through Europe. Matter of fact, it was banned over there in all of the European countries in 1922. Not banned in America. We don't know about it yet. So you can't really blame Dr. McIntyre, Dr. Bruin, Frank Leahy. You can't blame these people. It's not that they were bad doctors. They weren't. They were very good doctors. This is information that wasn't known in America yet. So in the book, I'll tell you how they poisoned them, what poison they were using, and how it was being done. Okay. Um, today we would have been on it in about 33 seconds. They didn't know it back then. Mm -hmm. So poisoning, you know, it sounds very Maxwell smart, doesn't it? The it poisoning. Does. So I had to do my digging into poisoning. Um, and it's, it's interesting. And I mean, poisoning has been used as a legitimate weapon since 331 BC. I had to dig into this. Why? Because I'm a geek. Okay. So everyone from the Apostle John in the Bible to Rasputin has been poisoned. Rasputin, they tried to do everything to this guy. You know, um, I think the only thing that would have killed him 
sooner was my mother's meatloaf, I think, would have killed him. Uh -huh. But I can see that now it's after Mother's Day. So um, political poisonings peaked around the Italian Renaissance in the 14th century. And this is why people started using food testers. As a matter of fact, a couple years ago, Hitler's oldest living food tester just died. Uh, I forget her name. She was well into her 90s. And Hitler would have, he would just go through the concentration camps and randomly pick prisoners and say, okay, you're a food tester. And if you died, you died. You know, <laughs> what food testers did is they basically tested all of the food before the important people ate it. Okay. So they did this for a reason because this works. Uh, Roman Emperor Claudius, Napoleon, Mark Anthony, Cleopatra, um, King Henry VIII, even Lincoln, mm -hmm. they tried to, they got caught trying to poison all these people. So this is a great big thing. Okay. Um, it is such a big thing actually that modern day, fast forward to our technology of the day, and we're pretty good at this now. We have, uh, we've set up the presidential food safety team. And all of the presidents have it in the White House. Even the air that they breathe in the White House is meticulously filtered. Okay. So the presidential food safety team, that's their job to oversee the making of the president's food, to make sure that there's no problems. Don't send cupcakes to the president. He's not getting them. Okay. Um, even if you have the greatest of intentions, he's still not getting them. Regardless of who the president is, this one, the last one, the one before, it doesn't matter. Okay. So the presidential food safety team, their job is to basically set up a safe zone where the president, the first, you know, in the first family and high ranking dignitaries can eat their food with, uh, without worry of being poisoned. It's a big thing. So when they go outside of the, the food safety zone in the white house, using food tasters. Reagan, Elder Bush, Clinton, uh, W, Obama, Trump, they've all done it, okay? Uh -huh. and through time, all of these things have been used. They used to use dogs. They used monkeys. They used prisoners. They took people on death row. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really quite a thing. So probably the most recent successful poisoning was done at the uh, Bulgarian embassy in 1993. Turkey's eighth president was murdered by poisoning with a glass of lemonade. Wow. It's not all that far-fetched to think that in the middle and the grips of the greatest war we've ever seen, that this guy could be poisoned and slow poisoned. Um, and I'm not going to tell you who did it, but whoever did it, they wanted to make sure that FDR was either a mental vegetable or dead as the war ended because they did their research and they, they, well, the research wasn't very good. They greatly um, underestimated Harry Truman. They, he didn't have a great political career. They didn't think he was very smart. Mm -hmm. um, and they thought that they could just roll right over this guy. Their research wasn't very good because Truman was no one to be rolled over. But they wanted to make sure that FDR was out of the way because he was very, very smart. And he would have carved up the post-war world differently. 
If FDR would have lived and had all of his faculties, the world would not be the way it is right now. And that was their goal. Um, let me see here. I talked about. Let me see here. Um, it's amazing, though, that, you know, as tight, like nowadays, as the White House is, you know, with stuff. Because there's even the story when Elvis went in, went in to, 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 to uh, give the president the gun, how it never got past the guys at the door. Well, it's kind of interesting with that situation that Elvis, Elvis went with the Secret Service agents and they went to the bathroom and three guns fell out of his pocket. Oops. And they just kind of laughed it off. Things are much different today. Yeah. Um, it was 69 hours, cradle, uh, death to grave for FDR, no autopsy. Hmm. None. No one saw the body. No one was allowed to see the body. As a matter of fact, they called a doctor named James Paulin, who's in Atlanta to Warm Springs, Georgia, to make sure that his cause of death was actually a cerebral hemorrhage. It was. So they bury this guy quickly, 69 hours. One of the most famous presidents we've ever had, 69 hours. Compare that to Lincoln, whose body was trooped all over the nation. This guy's interned quickly, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And no one saw the body, which is very mysterious. Drove Stalin crazy. So years go by. 1957, Eleanor Roosevelt, after hearing 12 years, all of the rumors still spinning around Washington that he was murdered, she's finally had enough of it. Mm -hmm. And she hires uh, a private investigator to look into his death. She now believed now, did she do this with the best of intentions? Was she trying to find the murderer or was she trying to cover her tracks because she murdered him? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Lots of twists and turns in this presidential whodunit. So her private investigator digs and digs and digs, and he's getting the runaround. She's getting the runaround. Now, wrap your mind around this. He's been dead 12 years. Eleanor is still a pretty uh, important lady. Mm-hmm. You know, the more I learn about her, the more I'm impressed with the person that she was. So they finally had to get both of them in one spot and say, um, we've got some bad news for you. All of the president's medical records were stolen. Of course they were. They were stolen out of a locked file at Bethesda. Four people had those keys. And in the book, I'll tell you who the four people are. It's quite a presidential whodunit. So it's interesting. They go to Barry, FDR, just like they go to Barry Elvis. On federal ground, under concrete, you're not touching those bodies, not without a federal order. There's going to be, you're not going to exhume them, even if you wanted to. It's not happening. Kind of interesting. Take a look at where Princess Diana is buried. Right. Not necessarily easy to get to. No. Um, these people were murdered. 
people are starting to realize that they were murdered as they re-examine history. And this is why my books are now becoming so popular. People want the truth. They can handle the truth. They can't handle the lie. Uh And I always say this, and I've said this on numerous shows, and I might as well repeat it here. The truth might hurt, but it should never be hidden. And I write these books to ensure that it never will be. So that pretty much is the story of the book on who murdered FDR. It was a miserable book to write. Um, I had to go to the FDR Museum in Hyde Park, New York, which is a good six hours. And I had to spend an enormous amount of time um, at the uh, at his National Archive uh, holding in my hand top secret documents from the 1940s. There's actually an entire filing cabinet. And there's all these pictures are in my book, pictures of the documents, pictures of the filing cabinet. There's a three, I almost fell right over this. Um, in the, in the, um, museum, because the museum is underneath the national archives are on top mm-hmm. and, um, there is a three drawer filing cabinet and it is Eleanor Roosevelt's FBI file on her connection with communism. And I was actually looking at something else and I turned around and almost knocked this thing into oblivion. Um, very interesting stuff going on with this one. I'm going to take this investigative um, obsession I have with, I'm a history detective. You know, I really, I know, I know conspiracies when I run across them. I wouldn't call myself a history guy. You know, I'm sorry. I wouldn't call myself a conspiracy guy. I'm kind of a history detective. I don't go out there and look for conspiracies and say, okay, <laughs> where can I find a conspiracy? Right. I'm out there to solve something. And I kind of, I'm kind of like the, uh, the sculptor. Um, I just kind of clear away the little fragments of stone so you can actually see what it was supposed to look like. I do the same things in my book. I gather all the information and I clear away all the fluff so you can actually see what happened. So I'm going to take this into the next book, which is going to be on Nikola Tesla. Cool. And boy, is there going to be some things on this one that no one's even thought about? Because I have that kind of mind, you know, you have to be a little crazy to write these books. Uh Um, The book on Tesla is going to shock a lot of people. And uh, so I'm going to go away for a while. Excuse the fun. (laughs) i um (laughs) so i have to go away for a while i'm gonna be gone for about 18 months actually i have your show and two more and i'm done for the year wow so i have to i have a great deal of research to do on the tesla book to bring it out but it's going to be all of my books are laid out the same way you know i gather the suspects i run them through motive means and opportunity and in the end, I'll tell you how they did it, who did it, why they did it, everything. Interesting book series. I just got contacted by, and I say this at every one of the shows I've had with you, we should get together and do these as a series. Yeah. And I was just contacted by someone the other day on Facebook. Um, reach out to me on Facebook, Steve Ubaney. I'm on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter. I had somebody reach out to me who's doing a documentary in the UK on Princess Diana. And guess what? They actually want the truth. 
So it's kind of interesting. Um, you never know where a book is gonna is going to lead you. Right. Um, I kind of I kind of think that my books are art. You know, maybe finger painting, but they're <laughs> they're kind of art to themselves. So, um, Harry Hopkins, I forgot to mention this, and you telepathically gave that to me, Harry Hopkins. You don't you don't know you did that, but you did. <laughs> I have to mention about Harry Hopkins. I've talked about all these other people. There was a KGB defector, Oleg Gravinsky, and I couldn't make that up. Um, he identified Harry Hopkins as a mysterious Agent 19 who leaked all of the information from all of the nuclear projects and everything that we were doing um, back to the Soviet government. So the person who was going back and forth to see Stalin was actually leaking information to him. I forgot to mention that earlier. It was hard for FDR to travel, very hard. He was in a wheelchair. He had 12-pound leg braces made of steel. Um, so what he would do, because, number one, it was hard for him to travel. It was very laborious, and he was also a very busy guy, is he would send Harry Hopkins go meet with Stalin, go meet with Churchill, go meet with this person and that person. He was the one who was going back and forth and meeting with these people. And he was named later on as the, uh, as the leaker in the government. Oh. Very interesting. Um, there's, there's so much in this book. I really can't give it away, but I gave you the, I gave you the plot right. of the book. So someone got a hold of me the other day and they wanted me to investigate um, MLK, mm -hmm. which I kind of blinked at a few times. Um, it's interesting because James Earl Ray's brother, I know, the King family came out publicly and said they do not believe that James Earl Ray did it. Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends, Mark Lane, who's now gone, was a very famous civil rights attorney who started the JFK Researchers Association. He actually started the entire investigation at JFK, publishing the book um, Rush to Judgment in 1964. Mm -hmm. He was the attorney for James Earl Ray. He knew that he didn't do it. So you never know. After the... Uh, if the notion strikes me, if I decide to waste another two years of my life, I might actually do the uh, Martin Luther King thing and do it right. And I like to think that with all of my books, Diana, Elvis, FDR, Tesla will be the next one. If these people could read these books, I think they'd high five me. Mm -hmm. These people have been hideously maligned in history uh, and there's so few, there's, there's so little justice in this world today. I think that they would love it that I told their story right. And with new facts, you know, so years and years and years after this event, you know, when something big happens like this, when 9-11 happens, um, you know, when JFK gets assassinated, when Elvis dies, um, everyone's scrambling for information. It's all tightly held. But as decades go by, the information comes out slowly, very slowly. Mm -hmm. 
You'll have deathbed confessions. You'll have documents declassified. You'll have witnesses come forth. That's when goofballs like me go to work. That's where I go to work and I say, okay. Yeah. That's how I can put things together and say, okay, all right, this is what happened. This is the evidence that picks that together. That's why my book series is, uh, you know, I'm kind of the mad hatter of history, you know. Do we take calls on this one? Are we able to take calls? Yeah, it's kind of quiet tonight. They're quiet tonight for some reason. What's on TV tonight? <laughs> I don't know. Not me. <laughs> like it's quiet. It's usually there's something good on TV that I'm missing. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the- <laughs> Oh, boy, I could say some things, but I'm not going to say them because it would be... That would be in, in probably poor taste, but it would but be fun. That's what always happens. There's either a really cool ghost show on or something, you know, and and then, the, then another night they'll they'll be chattering away, and then the next night dead. And it's just like I don't know, man. <laughs> man, they should be out there right now because it's very. It's not very often you have access to my dementia, so these <laughs> these people should be out there. But I can tell you a little bit about. The, t- the Tesla book, why I'm writing it, and okay. what I think happened to Nikola Tesla. Um, there's been so much written about this book that is wrong. I'm sorry, about this figure in history that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Nikola Tesla, and of course, there's a theory out there. I love these theories. I'd love to know who makes these theories. These people say that. Um, he didn't exist. He was made up by the Freemasons. I love this theory. This has got to be the dumbest theory I think I've ever heard. Um, whenever I need a giggle, I think of that theory, which has been lurking around out there since the 90s. Uh, I've already uncovered pictures of his parents, mm-hmm. documents of him in school. Um, I've already been in touch with four or five people who have evidence of his payroll. Uh, I've been in contact with the uh, Thomas Edison Museum. And they say, well, there's no video proof of this guy being alive. Well, there's no video proof of my great-grandparents being alive, but I'm living proof that they did. Right. So I really wanted to write that Tesla book to put that to bed because that is really... One must stand in awe of how stupid that theory is, really. Uh-huh. So, why do I think he was murdered? Uh, it's interesting that the people in history who challenge the medical community all end up the same way. Defamed, right. decredited, uh, discredited with their laboratories burned down. Are you familiar with the story of, of uh, Raymond Reif? Yes. Look what happened to Raymond Rife. He had, what's that? It never ends well. No, it never does. Um, um, Rife had, he developed the first microscope that could see live viruses. Mm -hmm. And because he could see live viruses, he could figure out which frequency killed what bad cells and what kept them alive. 
So he was so successful uh, with this um, on uh, terminal cancer patients. Right. And curing them. They had a banquet in his honor. And the banquet was 1932. And the banquet was entitled The End of All Disease. And right. it had, I think, 50 of the top doctors of the day at this banquet. And there are pictures out there. Right. Within one year, every one of those doctors would claim that they never met the man. His laboratory was burned. All of the information is gone. And what's happened now is that they have discredited him in history as a quack and so many other things. Right. Apparently, to the victor go the spoils. And if you have a bigger gun than the other guy, you're going to win if you're right or not. So that was our... I believe the AMA at work threatening to take people's licenses. Right. Same thing with Nikola Tesla, the great Nikola Tesla, who came up with wireless technology before most people even knew how to spell it. He, his laboratory was burned. He had all kinds of archival information there. And when it was burned, it was lost. All of it was gone. All of it was gone, which is probably why it's very hard to find video proof that this guy existed. They tried to burn him out of history. Mm -hmm. They've certainly written him out of the history books. They've certainly discredited him. And now they, you know, they people say he's a quack, he's this and that and the other thing. Well, Nicola, there was. <laughs> Nikola Tesla was one of these people who cared more about the advancement of mankind and the betterment of mankind than he did his personal wealth. Yeah. So when Westinghouse, who he had partnered with, was going bankrupt because of his patents, they couldn't raise any more money. They were going bankrupt. Nikola Tesla tore up his contract with Westinghouse so Westinghouse could make more money and get more partners to save his company. This is why towards the end of, the, uh, end of his life, People said he was poor and he was living in a hotel room. He wasn't living in a hotel room because he was poor. He was living in a hotel room because he wanted people around him all the time because he knew that his life was being threatened. Yeah. Westinghouse was paying all this guy's bills. This guy wanted for nothing. And there are pictures out there, just like the, just like the erroneous pictures of Princess Diana in the mm -hmm. crash that were not right. There are pictures out there that they say that, oh, this is what Nikola Tesla looked like in the last days. Didn't he look terrible? Eh, not Nikola Tesla. It's erroneous. It has, it's not Nikola Tesla. I don't know who put that out there. But um, they do a good job to discredit and twist information that they really want. Nikola Tesla had developed a death ray. They called the death ray. That's not what he called it. He called it something else. Mm -hmm. And the reason why he was a humanitarian, he cared more about people than he did money. So the country's at war. And he develops this electron beam that will just wipe everything out. Fleets of planes it will take down. And it will it's very, very economical to use won't cost any human life to end the war. Mm -hmm. And it's presented to, guess who? FDR. FDR is not going to use this. He wants to split the atom. Mm 
they're working on something else. And with Operation Paperclip, with all of the Nazis who had defected, were given the opportunity to defect the United States and bring their technology over, mm-hmm. you know, they, they advanced the heavy water experiments and made America's nuclear program what it was. They didn't want Nikola Tesla's technology. So what he did, being Nikola Tesla, is he started to vend it and market it to other countries. That's what got him killed. And of course, just like Elvis, Mm -hmm. just like um, Princess Diana, just like Sonny Liston, just like Marilyn Monroe, guess what happened? We have a sanitized death scene and everything has been stolen and rearranged. Uh, in the in the case of Sonny Liston, Sonny Liston had a he he was terribly afraid of needles. When he went to the dentist, they used to have to knock him out because he couldn't take the sight of the needle. And here's this big monster of a guy who's afraid of a needle, so he dies with needle marks in his arms. And they're trying to say that he was a, he was an intravenous drug user, but they have a problem with that because there's no drugs found in his system. Right. Right. Same thing with Marilyn Monroe. Okay, this is another interesting one. All right, and all of these deaths linking back to Nikola Tesla, who has a thread back to FDR, who has a thread back to the Nazis. Isn't it interesting how all these things come to play? Marilyn Monroe, you know, when you die, um, the lowest, when your heart stops beating, the water pump in your body stops pumping, your blood pools and it settles. Mm-hmm. And where the lowest point of where it settles, gets a purplish or blue or bluish hue on the outside of the skin. And that's called liver mortis. When they went to Marilyn Monroe's bedside and they saw her death scene, they immediately knew that it had been rearranged because liver mortis was on the opposite side of her face. Yeah. The side with the bluish hue was up, not down. Elvis Presley, same thing. Um, <laughs> Dan Warlick goes to his his uh, his death scene. The entire place is sanitized, all of it. There's even cleanser on the floor where he aspirated into the carpet. Nikola Tesla's death scene is the same way. So what I'm going to do with Nikola Tesla is I, I think I'm going to end the book series with Nikola Tesla because I want to move on. I don't want to be typecast into this. Right. I don't want to be the murder guy. Okay. Um, <laughs> I want to get into some other things. Maybe I'll write about circles and squares or something. Who the hell knows? Maybe I'll write a children's book. Uh, <laughs> be a little quantum leap there. Speaking, not to interrupt, speaking of quantum leap, let's talk about Nicholas Tesla here because, I mean, the Philadelphia experiment that the Navy did, and then everything got quieted down over it. Now, my dad was in the U.S. Coast Guard at the time. And he heard from guys aboard that ship about what had happened. And it all got squashed down. That's interesting. Is, is your father still with us? No. Oh, I would love to get that interview. But he told me directly that he, because he remembers when the movie came out, you know, the first movie about it came out. And he told me that directly, that he, he had talked to guys that had been on the ship. I would dare say that Nikola Tesla was so far above us and ahead of us and more advanced than us, it would be like us being advanced past the amoeba. Mm -hmm. And 
because he was working on secret things, and because his laboratory was burned to the ground, and all of that information was uh, was lost. Is there any doubt that any is there any wonder why there's no video footage of this guy? Oh, absolutely. He was so far ahead of everything, and you know, um, you know, there was a thing on uh, one of those uh, TV shows about it too, about these guys like Tesla and and even Einstein and how they felt that they had um, alien DNA and them and all this was going on because these guys were so far ahead of everybody. Well, there was a quote. And I, I tried to find it, and I lost it, but I remember hearing about it. Somebody asked Albert Einstein what it's like to be the smartest man in the world, and he said, go ask Nikola Tesla. <laughs> yeah. He was so there up. you go. Okay, so yeah. Nikola Tesla was being spied on by multiple people, uh, multiple governments in that hotel. He was in a hotel for a reason. He knew he was being threatened. He mm -hmm. knew what was going on around him. This is not a dumb guy. He wanted to be around the hustle and bustle of other people because he knew what was coming. So, interesting enough, Nikola Tesla crosses against two presidents. Hmm. John G. Trump was the one who was charged with the responsibility of inspecting all of Nikola Tesla's information. And guess what? There's in their trunks missing of what he was working on. When yeah. they, they counted the amount of trunks, um, you know, he had trunks filled with documentation. When they counted the amount of trunks at the death scene and they shipped all these things back to his native land, there were there's a lot of information missing. Where the hell is this stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, you can guess who took it. The United States government has it. Sure they did. Sure. So, um, it, you know, I mean, everything repeats itself. Um, another sanitized death scene. He, um, one of the people who was his, his assistant early on was George Bush's grandfather, Prescott Bush. Mm-hmm. Prescott Bush was friends with Nikola Tesla, who helped him with his experiments. So then George Jr. got involved, which would be George the Elder today. Right. This is where Curious George came in. Did you know about this? No, I had no clue. Nikola Tesla nicknamed George Bush the Elder Curious George because he was always up to something, and he was always in his files, and he was always trying to do something. Wow. So out of that, Curious George, that's where the monkey came from, the Curious George cartoon. That's where it came from. Nikola Tesla brushed up against two U.S. presidents, Trump and Bush. And not to mention that Curious George had been an aviator in the Navy during World War II. Very interesting point. Very, very interesting point. These, you can't make this up, and this is what drives me crazy. Why is this not in history? You know, and when I start talking about the July 1944, Dr. Frank Leahy's memo, when he lists FDR's ailments, mm -hmm. and he says flatly what's wrong with this guy. That was released on the History Channel on their website on April 12, 2011. 
well, April 12th was the day he was this is the day he died. But 2011, that's where I got it from. That's where I cited it from. That's where it's in my book. It's gone now. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. It's off the web. Now, I know Google is sanitizing things. Google used to be the, you know, teller of all information, great and small. Right. It's not anymore. Now they're telling you what they want you to hear. Oftentimes, and I know in my day job, I work with Google's algorithm all day, every day. They're not telling you the truth. It's kind of like the National Archive. The National Archive is not the keeper of all kinds of knowledge. It's the, it's the governmental library. They're only putting in the National Archive what they want you to see. And here's case in point, to that point. And I'll come back to another search engine you can go to to get more information. I'm giving away all of my little secrets here. Um, as long as it's not the black web, <laughs> the dark web. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. Um, I'm just kidding. I, mean, yeah. I don't know about the dark web guys. I just know what they say. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does exist. That's for sure. But, um, there's, um, the website that you can go to where you can find things that Google has sanitized. Okay. And I'll come right back to the national archives and the JFK assassination in a second. Okay. And why I'm not going to write the book on JFK, even though people have been pounding me on the forehead to write this thing. I'll come back to that in a second. Go to dogpile.com. Dogpile is the search engine of all of the search engines. So you're going to get results from Google. You're going to get, believe it or not, there are other search engines out there. You will find things primarily in the, in the COVID-19 universe. You will find studies and things that are credible on Dogpile that you are not finding on Google. Mm -hmm. You will find that on all kinds of information, credible information that you are not finding on Google. Google is starting to play games. Try this sometime. Go to your computer, go to Google, and type in white American doctor and see what comes up. You get an explanation as to why they're not going to show you white American doctors. <laughs> true story they are playing with what you're seeing they are now bought into the big electron they are now bought into only what they want you to see that is very disturbing because it used to be a very reliable thing it's not anymore um okay to the national archives and the jfk assassination of why i'm not writing that book much to the chagrin of the dozens of people who have been trying to put me on this trail. Um, there was a guy who wrote a book. His name is Don Adams, and he was in the FBI. And he's passed now. Uh, he passed in 2016 because we're getting to that point in history when all of these people are, are gone. Right. I ran into that when I wrote the Elvis Presley book. I knew most of the um, Memphis Mafia. Mm -hmm. They're all gone but two now. The only person that exists that knows all of their stories is me, I think, mm -hmm. because what they said publicly and what they said privately were far two different things. So this FBI agent, Don Adams, was special agent in charge of Dallas, I believe, when the JFK assassination happened. He's standing in front of the school book depository. He clearly hears 
two gunshots go off almost simultaneously at opposite ends of the building. Runs in the, runs up in the building, runs up the stairs, runs by the lunchroom. There's a guy in there having a Coke. He said, did you hear that? Where did that come from? And the guy points. That guy was Lee Harvey Oswald. Hmm. How could he have shot those guns on opposite ends of the building, be in the lunchroom drinking a Coke? He would have had to have gone down three flights of stairs and gone through three walls. It's impossible. It couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So what this guy does, the FBI tasks him with the responsibility of tracing down these uh, bullets. He now has to figure out where all of these bullets hit. So he does, takes some weeks, takes pictures of them, and submits them to his superiors in the FBI. Before he does that, he makes copies of everything for himself. Years go by, Don Adams retires. He goes to the National Archive to look for the information that he submitted. It ain't there. It's gone. So he writes the book through the window with a high-powered rifle to tell his story. Is If it's the truth or not, that's up to you. Some people like the book. Some people hate the book. The guy was there, and he was a governmental operative. Mm-hmm. And he's telling you quite clearly the Warren Commission was a pack of lies. This is a guy from within the government telling you that. So Don Adams, who I, uh, he died. Don Adams died in 2016. Um, he was on a local show in Cleveland, Ohio, which he lived in and around the Cleveland area. And he was showing his files and showing his information. And he said, when we're gone, nobody's going to be here to tell you these things. Mm-hmm. Three weeks after he dies, his house burns down. All the files are gone. Can't make it up. Look it up. Um, I I traced his son down because I wanted to get some information. And his son is a uh, sergeant in one of the police stations around the Cleveland area. And he's the one that told me about the fire. Everything's gone. This is one of the reasons JFK book, even though everyone wants it and they've been requesting it. The JFK research community, and I know most of the people in there, they're nice people, but even the people who agree fight and argue with each other. Uh If they believe in a conspiracy, they're fighting and arguing about the stupidest things. How many cavities Lee Harvey Oswald had in his teeth? Who in the hell cares? But all these people do is fight and argue and malign people. And you know what? I'm not going to put my nose in that trough. And I could very easily write that book, and here's why. My cousin, James Snyder, was a presidential guard for four presidents. One of them was JFK. He liked JFK. His favorite was Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. He was not in Dallas at the time. He was back in Washington. And when you are basically a, a White House policeman, there are different stages or different stations that they assign you at so you don't get bored. So 
one day uh, Mr. Johnson would be over here, the next day he'd be over there, or so forth. Well, it just so happens that my cousin was in rotation at this time to receive the presidential limo after the assassination. What he did was he cataloged all of the bullet holes, and he wrote down, I wish he'd had a camera, but he didn't, he wrote down all of the bullet holes and the condition of this limousine. There were three bullet holes in the front, one through the windshield, one in the hood, and one in the front fender. That's pretty hard for a guy to do shooting from behind. So I had real evidence to add to this, but I refused to put my nose in this trough because all these people do is discredit people mm -hmm. and argue. And you know what? If I wanted to fight like that, I'd get married. <laughs> I wouldn't fight with a bunch of old geezers at the JFK assassination. I'm not going to do it. So um, that's why I'm not doing that one. Um, I, might take a look at, I might take a look at Martin Luther King because he comes yeah. up again. Because the King family has come forward and said this this investigation was was ridiculous. Uh, you know, I might be talking to doing that at some point in the future. I've been doing this 12 years, Charlotte. Yeah, you need a break. And, you know, it might be, you know, skip some stones on the lake for a while. There you, you go. Know, it's an awful lot of research. It's fun to do, but I'm looking forward to turning the page. Right, right. Why don't you write a book? You can I, do yeah, it. I, I got two books. I didn't know that. I'm writing two books, yeah. Were you going to send them to me? You got three of them. I'm done, yeah. Awesome. What do you? What are your books on? Tell me. Or do well, you want? Um, no, I can do that. My father, um, when he got old, he was very difficult to take care of. Very difficult. So um, I'm writing a book for people that 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 have a that have a difficult parent to take care of, and you know, had, and how I dealt with it. That's one of the books I'm writing. Um, it's called. It's going to be called. Well, I don't know what it's going to be called, but my my working title is "Bringing Up Daddy." Okay. The second one is because being a newspaper reporter and coming from the background I do, getting into ghost hunting like I have, I was very very skeptical at first. You know, and so I've got a book out about how I be I became a believer gradually as we started going on, you know, doing these investigations and doing the research. So that's the other book I'm working on. What 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 newspapers you write for? Oh my gosh, I wrote for what did I write for? <laughs> I'm old now. Uh, the Roseville Press Tribune. I was also the uh, page editor there. Um, I was at the Woodland Daily Democrat. I, I was the, the the city editor there, and before that, I was the Prime Courts County reporter. And then I was also at the Placerville Mountain Democrat. I was a general assignment. Man, how would you like to? How would you like to edit this Tesla book? I could do that. You really want to do that? Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> you really want to put your nose in that trough and I have access to my yeah. dementia? That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I should probably just do close on time. I probably should do a wrap up on this uh, on this okay. FDR book because okay. we've been talking. Um, it's always fun to talk to you. Lots and lots of different things. Well, you know, giving me a microphone is like giving a peeping Tom Visine. So go. I, can go, I can go for hours. So <laughs> this book on FDR, this is a book that really deserves a bigger audience than my books are getting. Okay. Um, this was everyone's least favorite book because it was so long ago. 
And I had to start my own publishing company to get these books out. Okay. And here's why. Because the major publishing houses are owned by the same people who own the major media conglomerates who have been lying to you about these subjects for years. They don't want the truth out. Why? Because it doesn't suit their agenda. Everyone has an agenda. They only want the information out that they allow you to know. You know, if you're an educated person, if you know all the truth about things, you're going to be harder and harder to rule. And I don't care what system of government you have. I don't care if you're a communist or a capitalist or a socialist or whatever you classify your government as. You want obedient people. You don't want problems. You don't want uprisings. You don't want those things. People blissfully ignorant. You want them eating chemicals that are crunchy, and you want them to watch football games that are rigged. Okay? So this is what they want. Um, this is why I had to start my own, my own publishing company so I could bypass all of the issues. Um, the book on Elvis Presley just about turned the world on its head. Right. Um, the book on Nick on uh, Princess Diana. I just got contacted by somebody over in the UK. <clears throat> pardon me. They're doing a uh, they're doing a, a documentary on it, and they want me on the documentary. Why? Because I'm looking at I'm telling a truth that no one else is telling. This book on FDR. I'm really really surprised that um, you know it sells, but doesn't sell as well as Elvis. Right. Too long. It was too long ago. Okay. Um, FDR has been dead a good long while now. You know, we're creeping up on 80 years. Mm -hmm. um, most of the people who would be interested in this book are dead. <laughs> well, you know, maybe, like, I was just thinking, because they're, they're trying to put another TV series out there about the Waltons. So maybe that'll be a little bit of a resurgence, because, I mean, that's, that's who the president was at that time. So maybe people will be more interested in, in, in looking at it. Somebody has to be out there telling the other side of history. Somebody yeah. has to do this. And when I write a book, I don't care how it sells. Mm -hmm. I write a book because I never say, oh, boy, this will sell. Let's write that. Yeah. No. I write books because I'm compelled to tell the truth about something that I have to get off my chest. That's what I'm motivated to do. And you know what? If you're chasing dollars, go do something else. Yeah. You know, because... You have to scratch that internal itch with your work, just like you're doing with your books. Those yeah. are stories that you need to tell that you need out there. Yeah. You know, and I'm doing the same thing and more people should be doing that. Unfortunately, you have people who are out there trying to profiteer and write about things that they don't give a damn about. Right. They're just trying to make money on, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got about 4,000 hours worth of research and writing in Diana. I think it was 6,000 hours in FDR including a trip to Hyde Park, which was, well, I won't even get into that. And without this, it was 10 years. Yeah. It was, it was, it was 10 years. These books can never be profitable. I no, basically like when you start writing too, like, like, like you said in an early interview, when you start writing too, one lead, you know, one thing leads to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And then you, you just keep going. And then it's hard to figure out where to stop sometimes too. Because all of these things are interconnected. I mean, who would think that Nikola Tesla would be connected to FDR? Right. His administration brought over the Nazis to finish the to finish their research on on the uh, on the nuclear thing. 
Right. You've got a you've got a link right there from Tesla to FDR to the Nazis. To old Bush to to president to first president. Exactly. Then you have a link to Trump. You have a link to Bush. You yep. can't make it up. It's impossible. No. You know what? I want to thank you, and I'm going to miss you for the next 18, 19 months. Well, you know, you do have my phone number, Charles. <laughs> you can call and say hi. It's okay. You know, it's, hey, it's my show. You're all invited, but <laughs> somebody has to come around and do this, and that somebody's got to be me. But, you know, there the you meal's go. getting tired. I'm going to have to. You can only put so many bags on the donkey before he lays down and doesn't get up again. So I'll edit your Tesla book. I think I'll do I think I'll do one more book and then I'm gonna go do something. But yeah, I might take you up on that actually. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. All righty. Well, Steve, thank you so much. Everybody loves it when you're on, and uh, your books are terrific. I've read all of them. And I know Marisa read the FBR one, and that's the one she likes the best. My friend everybody Marisa. Has a, everybody has a favorite book. I'm glad yeah. she liked it. Yeah, she really loved it. So um it's, it's always great to have you on, but uh we won't lose touch, definitely. Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to do a progress report in six months as to how that Tesla book is coming, I could fill 15 minutes. <laughs> we'll beam you in. Boy, I'll tell you. Um, well, it's always great to be on your show. Get a hold of me anytime. And if anybody out there wants me on their show, go to my website and fill out the thing. I get back to everybody. Um, you know, if you want me, if you want me on your show, if you're doing a documentary, you want somebody to, to contribute, I'll do it. Um, you know, go to my books. If you want them autographed, go to my website. And if you want my books autographed to something, I'll be happy to do that too. So thanks everybody. It's been great being on. All right. Have a good one. Take care. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. All right. I knew we were going to go two hours tonight and we did, and it was well worth it because it, he's always entertaining and the research he does is impeccable and you need to get, if you want to know more about the FDR thing, do get the book because it is a very interesting read. You know, it's not like, it's not, doesn't end quite like you think it does. Just like Princess Diana didn't either. And of course, Elvis. Anyway, tomorrow we're back at 630, our usual time. Uh, John Kachuba is back with us. Uh, he had technical tr uh, trouble on the first show. So he's coming back with us and he's going to be talking about shapeshifters and other creepy paranormal things. Okay. Uh, that's at 6.30 p.m. tomorrow. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your friends. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio, and uh, we're always looking for subscribers. You can find us uh, by Googling California Haunts on YouTube or go to the website at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Click, uh, click on the video that's in the, on the front page, and that'll take you out to YouTube. And we've got over 190 videos over there that, that, that you can watch. 190. In fact, this is our, I believe, our 105th show for this year. So we've been cranking these shows out. We love having these guests on. And uh, we're real excited and real enthusiastic about this by, by my producers. Okay. Uh, if, you know, like I said earlier uh, in the show, um, this is all nonprofit. I do this because I love doing it. And, uh, it's nonprofit, just like with ghost hunting. I like to help people. I like to inform people with, with the show. But, you know, I do have to pay expenses, and I do have internet expenses and things like that. So if you can kind of help me out, that would be great. That's at paypal.me at California Haunts. Uh, that would be wonderful. Or if you don't like PayPal, try Venmo and then type in California Haunts. 
but I really appreciate it because we want to keep bringing great guests like well, like Steve Ubaney on and, and different people. Okay. Well, I'm going to close it off tonight because I have other things to do. I need to update the website, get some other things done. But I will see you tomorrow. So have a good evening. Oh, hang on. Let me get you Steve's information. Whoops. Yeah, I almost forgot. There you go. Whomurderedbooks.com. Who murdered Diana? Of course, who murdered Elvis? And who murdered FDR? And not only can you get these things on Amazon, but you can do it at Steve's website, as he pointed out earlier. Okay. Well, that's it. Now I get to push the magic button. But thank you guys for coming, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a good day.